Yeah, this is, uh, this is good. Uh, six years ago, I was, as uh, James, I should say as George, you know, give him, can I <coughs> as George was saying, um, and I did, did, did do an interim pastor be in Des Moines before Jeff came, and I was told by the district supervisor that, hey, could you do two or three weeks at Des Moines you know, before the new pastor comes? And I said, yeah, I could do two or three weeks. I'd pastored for 12 years, and I'd went back to get a master's degree in counseling. So I had pastored for a while, but he said, could you do that? And I said, yeah, I can do two or three Sundays. Well, two or three months later... <laughs> Uh, Jeff came. And so again, I just got knitted together with several of you again that are still here and just great familiar faces. And then a couple years later came here, which was evergreen, and got to do the same thing before Jeff came. And so uh, this is this is kind of special, special time. So thank you very much. Thanks for being here on Memorial Day. There's, you know, camping going on. You could be camping. You could be watching the Indy 500. Um, if I haven't preached for two or three years, and so if you think I'm going to stop at 11, <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Um, so some of you probably, geez, we probably should have stayed home and watched the indie, you know. But uh, I'm going to try to uh, estimated time of uh, finishing. I, it won't be 11. But anyway, uh, I'll keep you guys posted and you nudge each other or something and go, geez, we should have gone camping or something. But... Um, yeah, um, and oh, um, 10 days ago I turned 70, so how about that? Thank you, thank you. Here's what I want you to do, though, uh, when I say that. I, I'm going to say that again. So I'm going to say, 10 days ago I turned 70, and then I want you to say, no way. <laughs> so if, if you could do that for me, that would make me feel so. Here we go, we're going to try it. 10 days ago I turned 70. Yeah, it is true. And in fact, it's a good segue into my message because my message is seeing is not believing. So I know you think, you know, 45 or something, but it's not. It's seeing is not believing. Sometimes we, we say the saying is seeing is believing. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, tell you that that's not reality today, that seeing is not believing. In fact, there's apps out there on your phone that you can change people's, put a head on somebody else's body. And these are like free apps. These aren't even the good ones, you know, that Microsoft or somebody else that has put money in it can do it. But, and they could, so seeing isn't believing. In fact, the, my app that I use that I could change like people's facial hair and stuff was called Wooly, Willy, Wooly, Willy. I don't know if you can remember that, but it was like a piece of plastic that had a magnet that had like some shave, iron shavings and you could put it on and make, put a beard on somebody. That was my app. Uh, because 10 days ago, I turned 70. You guys are good. You guys are good. So keep that up. Keep that up. And so that was my app, was uh, Willy Willy. But seeing isn't believing. And we, this, if you listen to the news this weekend too, hearing isn't even believing. You know, we can do apps now where we can make people say things or not say things and do a really good job. So when you see somebody talking or saying something on the news, it's like, ooh, is that really them saying that? So hearing isn't believing. And then you're probably familiar with the story about 
the blind people that are touching the different parts of the elephant, and now they're going to describe what the elephant is. So some of them are grabbing hold of the trunk, and some of them are grabbing hold of the tusk, and one of them has the tail, and one of them has the leg. And then they say, well, now describe what an elephant is. And you say, wow, the elephant's kind of like a boa constrictor, but, you know, some air comes out of this one you know, end, and it's kind of prickly and stuff. And then another one says, wow, it's really smooth. An elephant's really smooth because it has the tusk. So we know seeing isn't believing, and hearing isn't believing, and now feeling and touching isn't believing. So what are we going to do? 2 Corinthians 4.18 4, says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, it's fleeting, but what is unseen is eternal. Now I'm going to use these things. I, haven't, I didn't have to use these a couple years ago, but 10 days ago I turned 70. Yeah. I did. That's what happened. Um, so how do, how do we see things? How do we perceive things? What's the perspective? If you would, it's not, it probably isn't nice enough today, but on a real nice day, if you would go down this Sumner and didn't drive up Highway 410, and right at the crest of Highway 410, I think there's a light there, and then if you just drive a little further, Mount Rainier is huge. It's huge. It looks like, and I don't know if it's the trees around it or what's going on, but the perspective when you get that is like, I can be there in 15 minutes. I can be to the snow, right? You know, because, but if you drive a little farther, it's like way far away. So what happens? What happens? What's our perspective that that goes on? How do the trees do that? Is it really that close? We know it's not, but it appears that way. So what's our perspective? Webster say perspective is a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something. A point of view. So how do we get this point of view? How have I gotten my point of view in life? How, what, how have I been given this perspective? What's the narrative that I've bought into that makes me see things the way I see them and hear things and feel things the way I feel? What's the source? So I'm going to give you a couple sources how we got into this place where we see things a little different. One is this, I'll call it family of origin, which in my counseling I love to go there because I just think that's a place we've all been shaped, we've all been molded, we've all gained this perspective. And a lot of it comes, it's from this family that we grew up in. And we didn't know any different. We thought every family was like my family, you know. Uh, I have a, a client that he, she was raised in a home that would, TV was blasting, radio was always on, there was always stuff going on. And she, when she finally was invited to somebody's house after church one day and lunch, and she sat down as a young teenager in the living room, and they said, you just wait in there and we're making lunch. She sat there, and there was silence. She said, wow, this is what peace is. This is what peace is. Another client I had, his home, he said, was a, like a mausoleum. There was nothing going on. There was no, no, no interaction. There was it's dead silence. When he was on a football field, when he would get hit, and he would feel some things, and he would sweat, and he would maybe you know, bleed, he would, he would go, 
This is peace. This is where I find peace. How can that be? How can we, we come from two different perspectives, but now we have this perspective on what peace is, and it, it isn't the same way. It's because we, we've been raised in this. We've, been, we've fed on things that said, this is how things are. So family of origin, our society does a real good job of saying, hey, this is how things are. This is what you need to swallow. This is the perspective I want you to have. Our media, and of course, since we're in church today, we'll throw in the devil, but I don't think he needs a whole lot of help. I think we kind of mess things up pretty good without him as far as the stuff that we've fed into your life. So I don't need a show of hands, but have you ever believed you weren't good enough? Where'd that come from? Who said that? Where'd you pick that up from? Have you ever believed you're not thin enough? You're not tall enough? You're not beautiful enough. Have you ever believed, man, I'm, I'm unlovable? Have you ever believed that you deserve to be treated poorly? Yeah, I deserve, I deserve it. Have you ever believed you never amount to anything? Now, again, I do want to show hands. I think probably some of us have fit in some of those categories and go, where did I get that? Where's that perspective coming from? Why have I bought into that? And why do I struggle with that? I'm going to give you a little side, you know, this is like the law and order, you know, watch too much law and order because they have the sidebars, you know, we go over here and talk. It doesn't have much to do with the case. So here's a little sidebar because we talk about these feelings that we have sometimes not being enough is that the difference between condemnation and conviction because in Romans 8 it says there's now therefore now no more condemnation in Christ Jesus condemnation is shame there's no movement here's how you tell the difference there's no movement in condemnation condemnation is you laying in bed and you wake up and some voice or some feeling goes you're a loser. You lay there and go, okay, I'm a loser. There's no movement. How are you going to be anything else but? Conviction is waking up in the morning and Holy Spirit, your gut, your mind says, you know when you talked to the checkout person in the grocery store yesterday? You know when she asked you, did you find everything okay? And you said, no, everything's been changing this store. I don't even know if I'm going to come here anymore. And, and the Holy Spirit says, I need you to go back and apologize to that person. That's conviction. It doesn't feel very good. It feels about the same as when they say, okay, you're a loser. But there's something you can do. There's movement. So when the Lord convicts you, there's always movement. There's always a way. He says, this is what you need to do. I know you feel bad. I know you feel rotten. But this is what I need you to do. That's conviction. I can do something about it. Condemnation is you are a loser. You're not a good parent. You're not a, a, a good in your relationship. But there's nothing you can do about it. It's just shame. There is no movement. That's no, no, how you, the difference between knowing if you're convicted or, or if there's, it's just condemnation. You can't get out. You feel I'm trapped. That's condemnation. I was raised, and I don't know where you were raised, I was raised 
I thought anyway in, in the Cleaver family, um, and most of you maybe, you know, some of you know who the Cleaver family is, but some of you don't because it's, 10 days ago I turned 70. Yeah, I did. Yeah, thank you. Um, but, you know, I thought Ward and June were my mom and dad, um, except when I started, I went back to school to get this counseling degree, and this crazy school wants you to do your own therapy before you do somebody else's therapy. Can you imagine that? You know, the audacity that I have to do through my own problems, my own wounds. But anyway, I was sitting with my therapist, and I was going through a story, and they said, so tell me, you know, some stories. So I said, okay, I remember once I was about 10 years old, a neighbor of mine was 12. His mom had left to go to the store. I'd probably been watching too much Lone Ranger or something, but I said, let's be blood brothers. Isn't that great? That's good. So he said, okay, good, and he went to the medicine cabinet and brought a razor blade out, and so we were going to become blood brothers. Well, his mom pulled in the in the driveway just about that time, and we're looking at the blade going, ooh, not what do you do? And I slit my thumb open with the razor blade and handed it back to him. And he looked at it and went, oh boy. <laughs> and he took it back to the medicine cabinet, and I was sitting there with my thumb slit open and then went and wrapped it up with some toilet paper and started to walk home. And I'm telling my therapist this, and she says, so I said, I started to walk home back to my house, and she said, where are you? And I said, what do you mean, where am I? Where are you when you're telling this story? And I, and I looked, and I thought, I thought, what are you talking about? But then I thought, yeah, I'm across the street. I'm like a King 5 news reporter. I'm watching the little boy walking home. And she said, what if you became the little boy? What if you feel what the little boys feel? And I went, why would I do that? Because that little boy was hurting, and I just and I would never wanted to go there and go. Well, why is he hurting when he's walking home? I realized the rest of the story as I as I thought about it that I went home, and my parents never knew I had just slid open my thumb. I did a real good job of hiding that because I thought I came from this family, and whatever I picked it up, whether it was I don't think it was their intention, but something I picked up as I was growing up was that this home does not need my sorrow. This home does not mean my trauma. And so I didn't bring it to my parents. In fact, when I was a senior in high school, I was class president. They didn't know it until the last month of school. So it was a home that I didn't think I could bring sorrow in. And I didn't think I could bring celebration in because it was probably too much. Whether, again, that was real or not, but that was how I was shaped. That's a part about our perspective. That's how I looked at things during that time. And again, you probably have your own stories, too. What did I do to survive in this family I grew up to make sure I was loved? So we have a perspective. We've consumed some things. We've listened to some things. Sometimes lies. Obviously, if they're lies, they're... Dangerous to a sense of our worth, to a sense of our ability to function. So my question is, I guess, what's, what's your perspective? What's, what's your perspective of you? 
What tape is playing for you in your head of your worth, your ability? Sometimes, for some of us, it's been playing so long that it's just kind of in the background, and it doesn't pop up until we get triggered in a certain situation. Uh, this school I went to got my master's degree in. Again, I had done some work, walked through some harm, some pain, some realization how I had made decisions and I, did I have to keep making them that way as an adult that I would made to survive as a kid. Um, but I graduated from, from this school, downtown Seattle, got my master's degree, and I just loved the school. It had changed my life. Um, I realized that I could go someplace painful. Before, when I pastored, I pastored for 12 years. People would come into my office, and they would come in with some sorrow and some pain in their life that they were walking through, and I had never done any work on my own. So how was I going to journey with them and their pain? So here's what my counsel was for 12 years as a pastor. I think you need to go home and pray more. I think you need to read the Bible more. Great thing to say as a pastor, great Christianese. But they needed somebody to sit with them. They needed somebody to hug them. They needed somebody to say, that hurts. That's tough. I'll walk with you through that. Anyway, so this school had changed my life. So I said, I, wonder, I don't want to leave this school. I want to stay here. So I applied for a job. They call it a practicum facilitator. And what was it? The new students would come into the, to their, to the, to the first year, and they would be in a, what was kind of like a small group. And, and there was a leader of it, then a facilitator. And the facilitator would kind of be a helper of the leader and then would meet with the individual students once every two weeks through the, through the year. So I applied for this job, and yeah, I got it. And I thought, wow, this is great. I get to stay here for a few more years and be involved with this life that's going on here and the, what changed my life. And I talk about that white noise or that tape playing, and you think, okay, I got this thing done. No, it's, it's there. That tape is there. Uh, and, it, we, and we can change that. You know, they talk about the... Our brains and stuff have different uh, sinews that go along, but that can be changed, but it seems like it's always there, and we get to go, uh, wait a minute, no, I'm not buying that. So anyway, here's my first day of work. I take, usually took the sounder down and got off and walked. I was walking to work at the schools in downtown Seattle. I'm walking, my first day that I'm going to be, I was hired to be a practicum facilitator. I'm walking down, and out of the blue comes why do you think you were hired? I mean, it's, I don't know if it's the Disneyland thing with the thing on your shoulder, but there was something. That said, so why do you think you got the job? I thought, what? You know, where's that coming from? And, and then it was, oh, you know what? I think you probably got hired because you're old. They need, they need some people that are, you know, a lot of young people in the school, they probably need somebody that was old. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Yeah, oh, and... Another reason you're probably hired is because you're a man. I mean, most of the people that they hired are women. They needed a token man. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you probably know there probably wasn't very many people that, were, that applied for the job. 
So you were probably kind of the last resort. No, that's the tape that comes up. And that's a tape that comes up sometimes in your life too. And again, you don't have to show hands. But some of those tapes pop up. And we don't know what to do. It's condemnation because we don't know how to get out of it. Fortunately, again, I'd done some work and I thought, oh, okay, tape, old tape. Trying to put me in a certain perspective, trying to make me see things a certain way. And I went, you know what? These people know me that hired me. I don't know exactly what they saw in me, but they know me. They had some trust in me. And that's why I got the job. And I you know, was like, okay, done with that. But sometimes that tape keeps playing. I have a good, no, that, I, that's, I'm not going to go with that perspective anymore. Okay, story. Numbers 13. Great story. This is, again, homework for you. Go read Numbers 13 and 14. What a great, what a tremendous story. But I'm going to read just to give you a little bit of background. Um, the Israelites come out of Egypt they're in the promised land or going to the promised land. And Moses wants to send a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel into Canaan. So he says, look at, we're going to get these 12 people. And we're going to send them into Canaan to explore. And Moses says, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it, is it fertile or poor? Are, the trees in, are there trees in it or not? Do your best and bring back some of the fruit. Well, 40 days they came back. They were in Canaan for about 40 days. And I don't know if you've seen some of the artist uh, depictions of this, but they did bring back some grapes. They bred back some pomegranates and figs, they said. And they said they put them on a pole. And again, I don't know if you've seen some pictures, of it, but you know, a lot of if you see the pictures, the grapes are like, cantaloupe size or something. And maybe they were, but they were big enough to put on a pole. I mean, most grapes, I, you can stick them in a backpack, but they put them on a pole. So something was going on. And they came back after 40 days, and this is what at least 10 of the, of the people that went into Canaan said. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and there's fruit there. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. Well, Caleb and Joshua had a different perspective. And Caleb said, he said, okay, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. This is what my idea. This is what I see. We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. Now Caleb had a different perspective. He was there with the with the 10 other people, but he saw the same things. But he had a different perspective. He said, "We can do this. We can do this." The 10 others said, "We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are." And then they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And then Numbers 13.33. Great verse. I love this wild and crazy writer of the Bible. Um, 
I think if I was God, I wouldn't, the Bible wouldn't be the book to convince people that I existed. I would have this Bible that it was about all these people that were beautiful and always obeyed and always did things right. That wouldn't that be, but he's got this Bible full of all these wild and crazy people. But I love this verse. It says, here's what the 10 other people said. This was about their perspective. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes. Okay, there we go back to, okay, what, how I view myself. The worth I see in myself. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes. But listen to this. And we look the same to them. Excuse me? How did they know what th- they were thinking? They didn't have a, you know, stand on the corner in Canaan and go, excuse me a minute. We kind of feel like grasshoppers. We kind of feel small. What do you think? What do you think we look like? They didn't do that. So what did they do? They came up with, we don't feel very significant. And they don't think we're very significant either. How did they know what we think? Now we're kind of in a quandrum here now I'm not feeling very good about me but now I'm putting and projecting what I think other people are thinking about me they wanted to go back to Egypt if you keep reading again a great couple chapters he said let us find somebody who will take us back to Egypt I can't see myself anything but a slave so I'm going back to Egypt You know what I know? I know how to be a slave. I can do slavery. I know how to do that. That's what I'm familiar with. Another little aside is that that's very similar to people in domestic abuse. That they become familiar in the abuse. So again, I'm going to put the husband in the role of the one coming home that's abuser, and that's not also necessarily true. But so, for an example, so he, the husband comes in and he's, and he's been drinking, so she knows, okay, in a few minutes after he comes drinking, we're going to get in an argument, and then he's going to push me or hit me or do something. The next morning he's going to wake up, he's going to be the greatest guy in the world, and he's going to forgive, and he's going to make a nice breakfast for the family, Two weeks is going to be really good, and then two weeks later he's going to walk in the door and the same thing's going to happen. Now people will come to him and say, you know what? I think you need to get out of that situation. The problem is they know this. They know what's going to happen. They don't know what freedom is. You, you want me to leave? I don't know what's out there. I don't know what's, what, what's in store for me. I know what this is. So I'm familiar with this, and I know how to be a slave. So let's go back to Egypt. Go to Canaan. There's giants in Canaan. I don't know about fighting giants. I know how to be a slave. And that's sometimes we find ourselves in, and the Lord says, here, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to walk. I know what this is. I know what a loser is. I know what feeling inadequate is. And I'm familiar with that. And you want me to do what? You want me to go where? So maybe this is 
maybe too simplistic, and maybe I don't quite understand. And again, if I could go to 12:30, we might be able to dissect this a little more. But since we're only going to 12, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no way. No, that was the wrong, wrong time to say no way. No, okay. Okay. Caleb's perspective. How did Caleb do, how did Caleb get this? And there's at least one verse, and it doesn't say a whole lot, but there's one verse, and it's in Numbers 14:24. It says, But because my servant, this is the Lord speaking, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit. Now I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I think what it means when it says my servant Caleb has a different spirit, I think that means he had a different spirit. It was different. It was not the same of the ten. He had a different perspective. He had a different tape playing. He was buying into something that they weren't buying into. And he followed and said God wholeheartedly. The Hebrew there is just is the same word of being pregnant. He was full. He was full of what God wanted. He was full of who God said he was. And God, he didn't believe anymore. He wasn't playing the tape that I'm a slave and that's all I can be. He was buying into something else. He was seeing something different. He had different eyes. If we want to maybe make it simple, he had a a different pair of eyeglasses. He had a different pair of hearing aids. He had a different lens that he was looking through. And he wasn't in denial. It's not about denying. It's not about saying, oh, geez, you know, I messed up or anything, or, 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 or putting our hurts and wounds under the rug. It's about a heart. It's about a spirit that allows us to see more clearly not only our needy and distorted and anxious self, but the caring face of a compassionate God. We don't have to hide our wounds and put them under the rug. And, and see where our lack is. That's okay that we can see that and openly see that. But it's, I've got this God. I've got this compassionate God. It's the, I don't know if it's a good picture, but if it's a kid walking in the door and he's just falling off his bicycle and his knee is all scraped up and the parent says, I knew you'd fall down. Come on, what are you doing? I was out there, I tried to help you, you can't even do that? No. It's the parent, and the kid comes in and says, come here. I need to sit with you. That must have really hurt when you fell. Let's look at your knee. Let's clean it up a little bit. That really terrible. I'm sorry that happened. So let's clean it up. And then let's go out. And then I'm going to help you, and you're going to get this down. That's the difference. It's okay that we have the wounds. It's okay that I've got some hurts. But we need to see the bigger picture of this God, this compassionate God. Because I see a lot more than that. I think that's a little bit what Caleb had, what Caleb saw. Romans 12 said that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Could I change that a little bit in the Williams and say, 
to trans, you know, be transformed by the changing of the tape? Let's change the tape. Let's hear what God says, how he defines me. Psalm 46.10, again, maybe this is too simple. But 46.10 said, Be still and know that I am God. I think that's a place to start for us. If we want to, yeah, I want a different perspective. I want a different view. I think this is that's a great place to start. Be still. Find a place where you can just be still. Because that tape keeps playing and, and life is busy and we get keep going. And if we stay busy enough, we don't have to think about this tape, this perspective that's going on. So we're going to be still and know. That Hebrew, be still, is to cease, to cease from. Cease from the old perspective. Cease from listening to that voice. I don't need that one that says I'm just a slave anymore. So be still. It's also to be idle. Idle. We think sometimes idle is a bad thing. To be idle, to be slack. It also has a sense of this being still. As it says in the Hebrew, it's, it's a sense of drawing toward evening. I think that's a cool, that's a cool picture. This being still is a sense of drawing toward evening. What happens when we draw toward evening? Sunsets. Sunsets happen. I don't know again. I'll use the word magic. Something happens. If you've gotten to a place where maybe the kids are finally asleep, or maybe you're not worried about the books anymore, or you finally got to sit down, and there's this sunset. And it's awesome. And maybe you only get 10 seconds to enjoy it. Maybe you get 30 seconds. Maybe you get to watch it from pink and yellow to purple. And, but there's something about that stillness. There's something that we need to find the place where we're still, where we're in awe. We sang about today about just the awesomeness of God, where we're just in awe. Maybe there's not words, but the tape is shut. We've turned it off. We let him say who we are. Unique. Created in his image. Specific purpose. Not like anyone else. And, and I think we get a, a different perspective. So in this stillness, hopefully, we can just get a glimpse of this different spirit. Hopefully we can affirm that we are not created by other people or their views. We're created by God. This compassionate, loving God. That we are not judged by how we compare with others, but how we fulfill and walk in what God has for us. I read 2 Corinthians 4.18. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. That fix is to take aim. 
aim. We don't aim anymore at what's just going to be here and gone. We aim at something that's eternal, that's lasting. Here's, here's a key. Caleb didn't deny that there were giants in the land. He didn't come back and say, the rest of you guys, what were you looking at? No, these guys are no big deal. He didn't say that. We don't have to say that. We don't have to say, no, this isn't a big problem I'm having. This isn't a big deal I'm going through. No, it is. There's giants. We've got giants. And Caleb didn't deny that. But God's perspective was greater than the giants. God had given them the land, and Caleb knew that. So we don't have to deny that there's giants. We just have to zone in on what God has given us, what God has for us. So we need to take aim. We need to watch the sunset. We need to listen to a new voice, a new perspective of who we are. And that sometimes can come from those that we trust around us. I was walking through the hallway after I did get that job, and one of the faculty members, I was walking with the leader of the practicum and one of the faculty members saw me with this leader and said to the leader said whoa you got Jim to be your facilitator he's such a gentle man I didn't work on being a gentleman I worked on being cool I worked on pleasing others I worked on how can I make you happy I worked on don't be mad at me. I worked on I won't be mad at you. I knew how to do that. I knew how to, how to work on those things and be a people pleaser. I didn't work on being gentle. But somebody saw that. And it undid me. So sometimes we need to hear different perspectives from God, of course, and then from others, the ones that we trust. I see your beauty. I see your goodness. I see the peace in you. I see the hope. And you think, hope? I ain't got no hope. Yeah, buy it. Listen to it. Because somebody sees that in you. Take a different point of view. And keep moving. Because when you get on top of 410, and it looks like the mountain's right next to you, just drive a little farther. When things in you come and say, whoa, this is too much. Keep moving. Remember, condemnation is, there's no movement. Conviction is there's movement. Keep moving. I know probably some of you thought, and hopefully some of you thought, you thought, well, what do you mean seeing isn't believing? I remember this guy in the Bible named Thomas. He believed because he saw. If you remember the story, Jesus says, come and touch my wounds. I read that recently, and my story changes because we can do that. We can have perspective of what the Bible says, but I don't think Thomas believed. 
because he stuck his hand. And I hope I can get through this. I don't think he believed because he stuck his hands in Jesus' wounds. It really doesn't say he ever did. He just said, my Lord, my God, when Jesus offered that. Here's the story if you read the story. Jesus appears after resurrection. He comes to the disciples, and Thomas isn't there. They go back, the disciples tell, tell Thomas that Jesus came to them after he was resurrected. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe that unless I can stick my hand in his wound. Jesus comes back with the disciples a few days later with Thomas in the room. And then we know the story. He said, Thomas, here I am. Here's my theology. Thomas didn't believe because he saw Jesus with his wounds. Thomas believed because Jesus came back for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there the first time. We've got this God that will come back just for me. If I missed it, if I missed him, he'll come back. I think he came back for Thomas because he loved Thomas. I think Thomas said, my Lord and my God, because he went, you'll come back just for me. You'll come back just for me because I missed it. That's what God wants to do. He wants to change our perspective of this love he has for us the worth that we are to him. So take aim. Watch the sunset. Keep moving. Thanks. God bless. Thank you.